Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, it's good to be back, everybody. Hope all is well and you're staying cool because it's a hot one out there today and it's going to be like that for a couple days. And let's just hope the hottest team in baseball stays hot in the Bronx. The Oakland Athletics will see the Yankees for the first time in 2021 and cannot wait to see this matchup because your A's have been playing better than anybody else in baseball. There is no question about it as they have the best record in June. Biff Roberts is going to join us at 115. We'll have the general manager show with David Forrest at 130. Roxy Bernstein stops by every Friday. We'll be here at 2. And legendary TV voice and longtime talk radio host from New York, Michael Kay, will join us at 2.30. So it's Roberts at 115, David Forrest at 130, Roxy Bernstein at 2, and Michael Kay at 2.30. The A's have won six in a row. They've won eight of nine. They're 12-2 and two in June. They just finished an eight-and-one homestand where three things are really elevant right now. Or I should say relevant. What did I say, elevant? Yeah. Relevant. Yeah, relevant, not elevant. Okay. It's been a long day, folks. I've been up since 4 a.m. and I've had a child in the hospital. I've been dealing with a lot of things as getting back from uh, Disneyland. Uh, which, by the way, I kind of did like a, uh, a a little study for Major League Baseball that I will be, if the owners wanted me to present to them today, I would, about what's good for the game. We've had a lot of negative lately. Uh, I'm coming away from Anaheim, California with a positive sign for our game that was really, really impressive. And I know you're thinking to yourself, what the heck is he talking about? That's what's called in our business a tease. But there's three things that have been really working for the A's. One is starting pitching. 
during their run here in June, they're nine and two with a two point five six ERA. Only the Nationals in that time have a lower ERA. So that's one. Two, the Mats are on absolute fire. Matt Olson has 11 hits in his last 20 at-bats with three home runs and eight RBIs. And if you look at not the American League, but if you look at the leaders in all of baseball in June, how well do you think he ranks in the major categories, Cody? How, how well do you think he's doing? I'd say he's in the top three. I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is having a, having a nice year. And, We're talking uh, June. In June, yeah. Uh, I'd say top three. I mean, you know, top two. I mean, Shohei Otani, the uh, first contestant in the Home Run Derby, is pretty hot lately. You know what? I'll, I'll say Olsen's – I'll put Olsen number one. Am I wrong? No. He's number one in batting average. I thought that didn't matter. That's what you always tell me. Yeah, well, he's number one. Hitting 431. He's tied for eighth in home runs with five. He's tied for first in RBIs with 16. He's tied for third in on base percentage and tied for third in slugging for a 1,287 OPS. That's how good Matt Olson is going. And when would you ever think? that you'd ever say that Matt Olson is leading in batting average at any point of any season. That's where he's elevated his game. The power's always been there. The ability to drive in runs has always been there. But look what happens when you hit. After going three for four on Wednesday, he's hitting 297 on the season. What has elevated Matt Olson into MVP caliber, MVP in talks of being in this race for the MVP, is not his power. It's his ability now to hit, hit for base hits, hit the ball the other way. I'm glad people in baseball are starting to come around a little bit and they're understanding this. The other guy, so I, I gave you starting pitching, I give you Matt Olson. The third variable of why the A's are so hot, Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman has reached reached base safely in 13 of 26 plate appearances over his last six games. During that span, he's hitting 423. Two home runs, seven RBIs, eight runs scored with an OPS of even better than Matt Olson. 1,370. So with Matt Olsen hitting 431 in June and Matt Chapman the last six games hitting 423, you want to tell me how their batting averages haven't changed what their seasons are looking like? You, you want to try and sell me on that one again? That's why these guys, these guys are hitting the ball all over the place, foul pole to foul pole, over the wall, off the wall, and it's been an absolute pleasure to watch. I can't wait to see this series against the Yankees because it's always kind of a good uh, measuring stick to see how you do on the big stage. Even though the Yankees aren't having the best year, even though there's a chance the Yankees, I mean, we can say it, there's a chance 
The Yankees don't even make the playoffs. I mean, the Yankees are just 36 and 32 right now. Are they going to catch the Rays? Well, they might. I don't know. The Rays just put Tyler Glass now on the uh, 60-day IL because, uh, remember, it's uh, him not being able to use substances uh, is why he got hurt. So, I, I, you're right, though. They're not going to catch the race. But, I mean, they did just sweep the Jays, who are, play, who are playing very well. So, the Yankees are now on a three-game winning streak where, you know, we were. I was ready to ask you, should we start panicking about the Yankees again? I would start. I mean, hey, they're just 5-5 they're just five and five in their last 10. Yeah, and they still have the second least amount of runs scored in the American League uh, at 269. Only Detroit has least uh, less runs scored, and it's only one less. They have 268. So the Yankees' offense still isn't, you know, get, they still aren't uh, scoring runs at the clip that we thought they were going to score. But, of course, I was listening to Buster Olney earlier, and, of course, uh, the Yankees led the podcast because they turned to triple play, and Aaron Judge robbed the home run. So, of course, everything was the first, the first thing they talked about was the Yankees, which uh, – the triple play was bizarre. It was just really bad. I mean, base running this year has been absolutely atrocious. Uh, there was like a 400,000-word essay written by Tim Kirchner about how bad base running has been this year. But the uh, if you go back and watch that play, it was just brutal base running by the Blue Jays. But uh, the Yankees are playing a little bit better. Jameson Tyone's on the mound. The guy they got from the Pirates in that deal, he's been uh, brutal this year for them. He's one in fourth in the area over five when they thought he was going to be a guy that could kind of be like a reclamation project for him. But he just hasn't been good coming back from Tommy John surgery. He had testicular cancer coming back off of that. He just hasn't been a guy to figure it out in the Bronx. So you stay hot, stay hot in the Bronx for the A's and, and you know, continue that 12-2 and two run through June. And then you, you go into Texas for the first time to see the only team you haven't seen in the AL West all year if you, when you're done playing the Yankees. Uh, do, you, do you work for Major League Baseball? Uh, I don't know. Oh, because I I think you and Major League Baseball are trying to hype something that uh, last time I checked the ratings, no one really cares that much about. Oh, uh, what's that? Uh, that'd be home run derby. Uh, well, I mean, come on, show yeah. it. Oh, home run, yeah, home run derby hasn't got ratings in so long. I I think it's great. I'll be honest. Are we uh, no one's been a bigger fan of Otani away from Angel people than I have been. I think he's incredible. I've said he's made, he's 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 arguably the best talent we've ever seen with our own eyes. We've never seen anyone like this before, and it's and it's great. Maybe he will bring interest back to what used to be a great event. I, you know, I remember back in the day, but it was a far different time. It's when you got ten outs, and that was it, and it, it didn't go round after round after round. And then I don't know what year it was, but, you know, just listening to Chris Berman go back, 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 back for hours, people just start turning it off. So maybe this will bring people back to the Home Run Derby. I can tell you this, since I take a vacation during that time, I can't even tell you the last time I watched. I think Josh Hamilton was the last time I watched Home Run Derby at Yankee Stadium, where here's a guy that set the record for most home runs ever hit in a round and still didn't win the competition. Maybe that's when it, I don't know. At some point, home run derby jumped the shark and a lot of people haven't been watching it because it hasn't done well. And it has really no, and, and the thing about it too is it has no competition. There's no NBA football hasn't started college football. College, college football starts pretty early 
at times. We can talk to Roxy Bernstein about that, where college football will kick off in August. But that's the one thing that, you know, if you're baseball and you're trying to figure out how to improve your game, you know, micing these guys up, they're taking selfies now. I mean, technically you should do well because you don't have competition. There's no other sport going on at that time. What do they say? The deadest day in sports every year is the day after the all-star game because there's absolutely nothing going on. Yeah, I mean, that's why we always, I mean, even now, but, I mean, that's back when we worked in Sports Talk Radio. That's why we always all took, uh, if you were smart, you took that week off of work because there's never oh, anything no to talk about. And I've it, been doing it for years. I uh, get the old beach house with the family. And did I ever tell you the story about the great white shark? I think so. I think I've I'll heard tell, this one. I'll, I'll, te- I'll tell it again. So, for the All-Star game, I, I barbecue. It's the one time. At the beach house, I barbecue. The rest of the time, my my wife wants to hit happy hours and uh, have a good time, which I'm all for. That means you only have to do dishes once. So, was I don't know. I think the game might have been in Cincinnati or whatever. So, we're getting done eating. The all-star game is over. You know, that means we're still at the beach for days. And all of a sudden, KUSI in San Diego, breaking news. Great white shark just seen off the PB pier. And the kids just go, you know, we were just in that water (laughs) earlier that day. And the shark was heading down to where we are. And you should have seen. And I'm like, turn it off. Turn it off. (laughs) Yeah, I really couldn't get him to go in the water uh, other than about ankle high the rest of the trip. As breaking news, great white shark seen right off the pier. Boy, that made for the rest of the vacation. Um, I got to tell you, I was really, really shocked about what I saw at Disneyland yesterday. Disneyland is a great place to observe people, their habits, and it's also good to understand the landscape of sports. Because I used to do this on my old show on 95.7. It was a couple of years ago where I was at Disneyland and I saw more Warrior hats than Lakers hats. That never happened ever, ever. Ten years ago, you wouldn't see one Warrior hat even in the Bay Area, let alone at Disneyland. Well, the Lakers are back. Um, There's a lot of Laker hats. There were some Warrior hats. So the Warriors are still a very popular team. Uh, The most... And I started telling my wife about it. She goes, I can't believe you noticed this stuff. I go, this is my business. Um, No representation for the Chargers. Really no representation for the Rams. Majority of everything football was, of course, the Raiders in Southern California. But the number one thing I noticed, if it wasn't, a, if somebody didn't have some version of a Disneyland hat on, they're wearing something that was a new era Major League Baseball cap. I saw A's hats. I saw a ton of Dodgers, a ton of Angels, a ton of Padres. Merchandise for Major League Baseball was all over the park yesterday at Disneyland. And I was I was impressed. I saw your Pirates, Cody. I saw Mariners. I saw Astros. I saw, of course, Yankees, Red Sox. I think I saw just about every single. I didn't see Rays. I didn't see Marlins. 
But, I mean, I saw White Sox. I saw Cubs. Major League Baseball, we don't get these reports, but Major League Baseball is making a lot of money off merchandise. I think they're making a lot. I mean, that's a, I, I think that's a great way to look at it because when you go to Disneyland, you got people from all over the country. So it just shows what people are buying. There was there was far more Major League Baseball merchandise than NFL and NBA, by far. By far. Carson Wentz Colts jersey, which was kind of shocking. Already? Already. Yes, I, I wanted to say too soon. But uh, Bip Roberts, the All-Star, joins us. Bipster, how are you? Hey, man. You know, it's uh, graduation time around here. So I'm just enjoying graduation with my granddaughter and relaxing and enjoying life, man. Isn't that, you know, for, for, for a grandpa, you just, you know, you, you've gone through it with your kids and now doing it with your grandkids. It's just, it's so special. You know, I'm glad they don't call me grandpa. <laughs> they call me pawpaw. <laughs> I don't have to feel too old. But, you know, when, when you raise them from the time they came into this world and you give them a solid foundation and then you see the growth and then the graduation, you're like, wow, we're actually here. How time flies. But we're here now and we're just going to enjoy it because now we know that she's got a very, uh, what did we say, a, a productive future ahead of a very bright future ahead of her. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens next. So I am a proud pawpaw today. Take me back, back to your playing days, whether you're going to take on the Mets or you're going to take on the Yankees, what that was like. Ooh, loved it, man. We fly into New York, get on the bus, and all of a sudden, uh, Biggie Smalls is being played. Any rapper that was a part of New York was being played on that bus, and we were just taking in the sights because normally we would get there at night, and so all the, all the big buildings are lit up, and you can just see everything. And now you start thinking, I'm on the biggest media capital. I'm in the biggest media capital in the world, and I want to do well. I want to show these people here that I can play baseball. And so you get this feeling that you don't get in any other city. And it's about now getting out here and performing on the biggest stage that we could be on and just doing your job. And hopefully we get some wins. You know, I was on teams that didn't get a whole lot of wins there, but we had a lot of fun. Well, the A's right now, the way they're playing and the way they've kind of morphed into this team that's so relaxed, they love each other. They have a ton of fun. Uh, led by a man that's such a great leader in Bob Melvin. And just the, the way what, – what have you been seeing with this team as they have the best record in June? You know, I, I see the same thing that you see, brotherly love. Each guy pulling for each other. Each guy wanting to see the other guy do well, knowing that if he does well and I do my job, we got a chance to win. You know, every time you watch the A's, you go – well, when you, when you stand them up against certain teams, they may not have as much talent as you think because they're not being paid as much, but they know how to win. And that's a tribute to Bob Melvin, teaching these guys years back how to compete for nine and then how to win in nine or get the walk-off in 10. And so when you watch them play, you just know that they're going to compete. It doesn't matter who they're playing or where they're playing. They have guys on that team who are not afraid to get out there and perform. And you need guys like that, you know, and it starts with Mark Canna leading off. Here's a guy that steps right on top of the plate, daring you to hit him, or he's going to find a way to get on base one way or the other. And that's what you need. You need a great leadoff guy, table setters behind him, guys who can hit the ball out the yard. And I'm going to tell you this, 
Olsen, to me, has turned turning out to be a great hitter. May not be hit for a high average or something like that. But once he started driving the ball to left field, you don't see a shift on him anymore. So he's changing the way that the scouting report is written on him. And you see that up and down the batter's box. I'm starting to see Chapman, who was in the front of the batter's box. Now he's in the back of the batter's box. And he's starting to get results. So these guys are now making adjustments from one through nine. Tony Kemp has been tremendous this whole month. I mean, he is doing his job both in the infield and in the outfield and at the plate. So you got guys all around right now. And as we said, in June, that's when guys kind of find their way. And you see that through this entire lineup right now. Yeah, I, I mean, Bip, Matt Olson right now, he's hitting 431 in June, raises batting average to 297. And when you're not trying to pull everything, just talk about what that approach is and how tough that is for hitters when they know I can take you deep to right, I can take you deep to left center, I can hit a ball down the line for a double, down the right field line, the left field line, I've got all-around plate coverage. Talk about what's that, what's that like. Well, that word confidence is just big with him right now. And when you're a guy who can go to the plate and have the muscle memory to hit the ball anywhere on the field, you now feel like all I have to do now is hit strikes. Or if I get a pitch and know what he's going to throw, maybe I can get out front and drive one out. So right now he's hitting the ball from the back of the zone to the front of the zone with authority. So he's not afraid to get beat because he'll just go to left field. And if he guesses right with you and you throw a fastball where he can hammer it, he's going to drive you out the yard. But on top of that, he started to get hits in clutch situations where he's driving in runs with guys out there. And that's what happens when you have a team that's playing together. Table setters get on and guys who drive in runs, they drive in runs, whether it be with one out, two outs, or two and a half outs with two strikes. And that's what you want from a guy like Olsen right now. He can use the entire field. So now you play him straight up. And now you say, okay, we're not going to play a shift on him. And now he beats you because he can hit the ball anywhere on the field. So it's really opened up his game to be able to use the opposite field. And I don't know about you, but when I get to the ballpark, I watch BP. And I've watched him for the last month and a half start off by hitting the ball to left field. Every, every time, first round through batting practice, he's hitting the ball to left field. Now he's working from the back of the zone to the front of the zone. And now he's able to carry that into the game. So that's what's impressive about him. He's made the adjustment to become a better hitter as he, as he continues to progress in, in, his, in his career. And that's what you want. You want to see guys get better each and every year, and he's doing that right enough, right, right in front of our faces. Yeah, it's like you want to it's like you want to teach these guys that listen, if you're just gonna pull the ball, you only have half the field to put it in play. And now what they have done over the years, they figured it out. If you're only going to hit it to a certain part of the field, we're going to take all of our defenders and put them in that part of the field. I mean, it's become pretty simple, Bip. If you only pull the ball or if you only go the opposite way, uh, the odds of you putting that ball in play and having it been having to be put in play and put it in play safely, your odds are really starting to shrink. Yeah. As they say, if you keep hitting it to the shift, your career won't last long. You know <laughs> what I mean? So you've got to find a way to beat the shift. And, you know, as you continue to watch these guys, all of them, they take it from, you know, it's almost like it's contagious. It's like, okay, this is what this guy's doing to have success. I'm going to try that now. And I'm going to try that now. And I'm going to try that. And now you start seeing all the guys start using the entire field. 
And, and I think that's just a blessing to see and to understand that these guys have a high IQ and understand how they want to become successful. And they're out there applying it on the field. They talk about it and then they get out there and they be about it. So my thing is just to continue to watch them grow and just be impressed by what I see. You know, this is not the same team that it was last year where everybody was trying to have that A swing on every pitch, A swing, A swing, that analytics say, give me your A swing every time. Well, if you have that A swing every time, you're not going to put the ball in play consecutive. I mean, consistently with three, with three pitches, you know, with three strikes. So now if you take some swing out and you use the entire field, and that's what Tony Green used to say all the time, just take a little swing out and just, you don't have to have that A, that A bat speed. You can have pedestrian bat speed, make solid contact and get bases. And that's what you want to do. You want to understand when you can have the A swing and when you need to cut back a little bit to put the ball in play. That is such a great observation because, and you know what, it's, it's UX big leaguers where I'm hearing this. I'm not hearing this from coaches. I'm hearing this from the, the other guy who said this, and he was a damn good pitcher in his time, was Mark Langston. You know, Mark Langston mm-hmm. led the American League three years and strikeouts won a lot of games. And Mark Langston was on the program, and he's like, he's like, Chris, these guys all have the same swing on every pitch, every count, and that's why they strike out. They're easy to strike out. And, and I was like, that's a, that's a great observation. And like Tony Gwynn said, take a little bit off to make sure you do make the contact. And then now I think about, and I want you to put your hitting, hitting coach hat on here. Uh, Matt, Matt Chapman's driving the baseball again, and he's letting it get deep. He's able to drive it to right center, even hitting an opposite field home run. He talked about being able to fire his right hip finally after surgery and all that rehab explain to us what that means firing that right hip and now being able to catch up to the baseball. Yeah. You know, he's now able to take that backside and drive it through the baseball. What he was doing was he's taking that back hip because he was still afraid and not sure of it. He was just taking it to the baseball and let his front side pull the, pull the rest of the body and the swing through the swing. But now it's coming from the backside, and he knows that he can drive that back leg through the baseball. And that's key when you're a hitter. You have to be able to drive that back leg through the baseball and turn that back foot when you need to. Sometimes you have to keep it still if it's a breaking ball so that you can stay in the plane a little longer and be able to make solid contact. But the way Matt Chapman has is, is, is probably found that confidence is because, again, he was stuck in one part of the batter's box. And I kept saying, you can move around in a batter's box. You're not locked to one spot. Move around, find a comfort. Once he found that comfort, and now he starts to get some confidence, now he's saying, you know what? I can use my back hip. Because when he, where he was standing, it's almost as if he couldn't use his entire body or his lower body because the ball was up on him so quick. And he was thinking too much. And he was thinking, well, I can't get my backside to it, so I just use my top part. And he was swinging right through baseballs. We saw him swinging right through fastballs, right down the middle. So what did he do? He moved to the batter, back of the batter's box. He got comfortable, and he started using his legs again. So it's amazing how the body and the mind works together. As soon as you have some confidence and some, and, and some results, all of a sudden you don't feel that backside anymore. You don't feel that hip anymore because now everything is starting to work. And I think that's where he's at right now. He doesn't feel it anymore because the confidence is back. His self-esteem is high and he's getting positive results. And it's all because he made the adjustment in the batter's box. Well, promote the real estate on your way out. 
Hey, people just need to call me. If you want to sell or buy, call me. This is a great time for real estate. If I'm, if I'm the seller of your house, I get you 40, 50 offers on it, and we sell it for as much money as possible. So you got to call me. I'm at 925-548-3918. And I am a real estate agent with Intero. We do whether it's residential or commercial. We'll get the most for your house, but you got to give us a chance to do the job. You're the best, Bibster. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right, man. Enjoy the series. Talk to you later. The great Bip Roberts, former All-Star. I was at that All-Star game that he played in in 1992 where the American League absolutely smoked Tom Glavin in the first inning, and it was ball game over. It was a terrible All-Star game. Got to look it up. I mean, the rosters was who's who. It was, uh, I mean, it was Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. And, of course, Tom Glavin was a Hall of Famer. 1992 MLB All-Star Game. All right. Give you the details. Jack Murphy Stadium. I mean, you look at, let's see, the Hall of Famers. You had Tom Glavin, Ryan Sandberg, Ozzie Smith, should be Barry Bonds, Tony Gwynn. Uh, we were trying to get David Cohn. He's not a Hall of Famer, but my man David Cohn is a Greg Maddox with the National League, Lee Smith, John Smoltz, all Hall of Famer, Craig Biggio, now Larry Walker. On the American League side, you had, well, should be Mark McGuire, but Roberto, Roberto Alomar, Wade Box, Cal Ripken Jr., King Griffey Jr., uh, Kirby Puckett. Should be Roger Clemens. Dennis Eckersley. Oh, my man Mark Langston was in the game. Mike Mucina, Hall of Famer. Pudge Rodriguez. Let's see who else was in the. Our man Jose Canseco was in the game. Paul Malder was the DH. That's a lot of Hall of Famers in one All-Star game, Commander. And uh, it was a horrific game. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this roster too, and it made me think. I put it on the uh, the old playbook. Maybe something we can ask David Forst about the because uh, I remember you and I. Were, I was texting you during uh, the Ace Clubhouse show the other day. The uh, the old timers game. What maybe what David Forst thinks about that coming back? Uh, because I saw some of those names you mentioned: McGuire, Canseco, Eck. Uh, I love that idea. The idea of bringing back the old timers game. And seeing some of those guys playing, but yeah, some of these names on this '92 All Star game. I mean, it just it brings back. I mean, I was so young. I was uh, I would have been that would have I would have turned four that year. So I mean, Charles well, Nagy. Well, he, he, here's the thing. Bobby Cox had to go take Tom Glavin out in the first inning. So they so Glavin just got smoked right out of the gate. He gave up four runs, but you can't have your starting pitcher who you care about as the Braves manager for the second half out there struggling in an all-star game. So Bobby Cox had to go out and take Tom. And you know, you don't want to do that to your guy, right? I mean, and, but the American league, you know what, if they, I, I, I maybe we can ask David, maybe he knows, but I mean, this has the potential to be a great all-star game because of all 
the young talent that is in the game. David Force, the general manager, joins us here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast. David, how are you? What's up, Chris? How's it going? Uh, it, it's going good. Obviously, your ball club's hot, but you know, just speaking about all the young talent in the game right now and looking at, I mean, you, you go to the leaders in the league and it's all these guys well under 20, including your guy, Matt Olson, who's up there in a lot of categories. I, I don't know what baseball can do, but this could be a time where we really showcase all the great young talent in the game. Cause I mean, you've been in it a long time. I can't remember this many good players and this many good young athletes. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, Part of it also is that we, we didn't get to see these guys all get together last year for an all-star game. So it'll have been two years. And, um, you know, some of these guys were obviously on the scene in 2019, but but certainly not in the way that, that Vlad and Acuna and, and Tatis are now. So, yeah, I think, you know, you look ahead a few weeks to that all-star game and getting all these guys on, on one field, you know, for the home run derby, for the game. Uh, it could be It could be very exciting for baseball. Yeah, and Shohei Otani is the first guy to announce that he's going to be in the Homer Derby, and maybe that'll bring some sizzle back to the stake in that event. Uh, but but thinking about all these young players, wh- why do you think these young kids have come up so fearless compared to what we used to say back then? Oh, he's a rookie. He's going to make those rookie mistakes, and this is the big leagues. And they, I mean, these kids are coming to take your lunch money at a very young age. Yeah, I, there's just there's a different mentality now than there was, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago for sure. That there's uh, this idea that the guys have to sort of pay their dues or, or you know, or get you know rookie hazing, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it just doesn't exist anymore. And and right now, talent sort of plays. And, and if you have talent, you're going to be in there. And uh, it's been exciting to watch. Well, uh, I'll, I'll play old man river again and get on my, my batting average, uh, hat on as Matt Olson has the best batting average in June in baseball at 4:31, And the way that he has changed his game in front of our eyes, where now he's using foul pole to foul pole, not only with his power, but he's now being able to square it up and go the other way. And what I love, and you can tell me what you're noticing is when he's done that, they've had to change the way they defend him. And it's been wonderful to watch. It has, um, you know, I think, I think last year was so fresh in our minds on Ole and, and all the struggles that he had. And, and, you know, he's talked about how, changing his routine hurt and the lack of video and all these things that a bunch of players were affected by last year. But, um, but, you know, you go back and look at, at 19 and, and 18 also to some extent and what only, what only showed he was capable of doing. Um, but no, like you said, never more so than now when, when he is driving the ball to the left field, the homer he hit the left center the other day, uh, obviously anytime he gets a pitch to pull, it has a chance to go out of the ballpark. So, um, we've seen, we've seen shifts in different configurations. You guys put their second baseman at different depths at different parts of right field. And when you hit the ball 110 miles an hour off the bat, you, you just don't give guys much of a chance to field it no matter where they are. Uh, to, to this day, the one that's still just kind of like you look out and you go, what is going on is when you see four guys in the outfield, I mean, you, you really have to adjust and go, okay, I get it. But isn't that like the strangest one when you're looking out next, thing you know, you only see three infielders. You're like, where'd the other guy go? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the Rays were probably the first ones to do it, but, but we've seen it a few times against Dolly. And, and obviously, you know, like I said, he does hit the ball in the air the majority of the time. But, uh, but the way he's going right now, uh, you know, he can, he can double down the left field line. He can, he can hit, hit the ball with, you know, with force anywhere in the park. Okay, let, let, let's say you're going with the standard shift on a guy, right? Your normal shift where, you know, you got the third baseman's kind of playing like a rover shortstop. Uh, you're taking your shortstop and you're putting him out kind of in right field. We'll call that a standard shift. When you're getting ready for a series or a game, how many times does a guy have to beat it the way Matt Olson's been beating it for you to say, you know what, we're going to stop doing this and we're going to play the guy straight up? <laughs> That's a good question because obviously all those decisions are based on a, a huge amount of data and, and, you know, hopefully years, years worth of spray charts and things like that. And, um, you know, you really don't know when a guy has made a, an actual change in his approach. I mean, that it takes, it takes a little while for that to play out or, or you just have to be, you know, see him on an everyday basis. So, there, there's not a great answer to that question, but obviously, you know, we're watching other teams closely. Our, our advanced group is is keeping track of things. You just you just have to sort of have a feel for maybe when something has fundamentally changed. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking about a fundamental change right now is in your third baseman. It has been so much fun to watch. Uh, we had him we had him here on A's Cast Live, and he was very honest where he said, you know what, going through this has not been easy. I did. I felt like I was somebody. I felt like I was in a different body, and I don't think a lot of people understand when you get cut on and you have surgery, any type of surgery. You know, you're different, and you got to go through the rehab. But then at some point, it finally clicks, and, and it has clicked for him. And he's starting to fire his right side. He and Darren Bush work through it. I think just for you guys in the front office, sit, sitting wherever you guys sit for games, you got to have a big grin because it was tough watching him go out there and just strike out time and time again. And now, you know, we always nicknamed him Captain America. Well, your Captain America is finally back. He's he's certainly getting there. Yeah, he has the 870 something OPS in June. I think it's just a a huge difference from where he was in April and May. And and I know, you know. Matt will say he's not quite even there yet and feels like, you know, he's just kind of figuring it out. But, but yeah, every day that goes by is a day, you know, he's further away from that surgery and closer to, to sort of having the, you know, the muscle memory that, that he had before surgery. So it's, it's been nice to see him hit a couple homers, um, get some hits in big spots, but, but ultimately, you know, you knew those fastballs that he was he was just swinging through. You knew it was like a, a split-second timing thing, and it was, it was going to come back at some point. Your starters are 9-2 and two with a 2.56 ERA in June. Only the Nationals starters have a better ERA. And the one guy going tonight, James Caprellian, well, we're, we now know why the Yankees selected him 16th overall in the 2015 MLB draft. I just the confidence that he has, it, it's kind of like that bulldog mentality. He's able to pitch through jams. I, when you got him, he was hurt, but you knew he had talent from from you guys scouting him. Just talk about what you've seen from him so far. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up uh, you know his draft position with the Yankees because obviously this is a time of year where 
we're talking a lot internally about draft and and as part of that we go back and look at at the guys who were taken in the first and second round and, and what our reports were on them and what data we had and how how did they turn out and, and every time you go back and look at james and what he did at ucla you're like oh yeah this guy was dominant he had you know basically had a two era over two two seasons at ucla struck out 200 plus guys he was you know he was the man and it's only because uh, of the injuries that kind of derailed him over the last three or four years that that he wasn't here doing this you know three years ago basically so the the talent is there the stuff is there and and i think uh it's it's crazy to think about that first inning in boston and how this whole story could have gone differently had he not found a way out of that first inning uh, but he did and and i know bob has talked recently about how much this guy competes on the mound and um he's obviously going to go out there in yankee stadium tonight uh to compete and um every every player who's ever been traded is looking forward to pitching against their former team i think well i've been joking that uh the only time he's ever going back to vegas is for vacation <laughs> uh, well considering it's 118 degrees there this week i'm sure he'd be happy to hear that <laughs> <laughs> yeah even though that pool is pretty awesome at the aviator game i don't even think you could be in the pool at 118 yeah, James has done a great job. He's, you know, he, he came up uh, because we needed a spot filled and, and he has gone out every time and, and competed and give us a chance to win, which is what we talked about last week with the starters. Those guys go out there, they keep us in games. I mean, Wednesday was a perfect example where Cole gives up three in the first, but you look up and it's the fifth inning and he's only given up one more run and he's kept us in the game and, and held the line until the offense came around. Yeah, it's so interesting how groups of human beings feed off of each other really, really good and sometimes really, really bad. And right now, your starters, it's every night. No one wants to be the weak link. It's like you have such a strong five right now. It's hard to explain how it happens. I Maybe you can explain it. I can't. It's just but it's happening for your club right now. It's kind of always been the the formula for us here is is when we have a when we have good teams when we have a, a stretch of of years or playoff runs you have you have those groups of starting pitchers that feed off each other and kind of bond and and compete in in like the healthiest way possible and again obviously you go all the way back to the teams you know 20 years ago when, when Hudson Mulder and Zito did this but um, but it's kind of the theme throughout the, the successful A's teams. I mean, I'm sure Foss, Foss will talk about it from the teams in the 70s where, where the starters and, and Catfish and everybody everybody wanted to top the guy who pitched the night before. And it's it's fun to watch. I mean, those shots of our, you know, the four starters sitting in the dugout, the guys who aren't pitching that night, cheering on that night's starter, and they've got all their, you know, their little handshakes and everything. It's It's a really fun dynamic. Yeah, I, it, it, it's so cool because, you know, it starts with Scott Emerson and they're just always talking and they're always helping each other. And it just seems so healthy that you have a group that and, and they can help each other where they go. I see this. I don't think this is going well. Chris Bassett's talked about that on our show to where it's like they're all pitching coaches for each other. And I don't think you always see that at the big league level. No, you're right. And and to that point, I was 
sometime on the homestand, I went out to the bullpen to talk to Emo during batting practice. Um, and I will, I will tell you that I think it was Cap was throwing aside and literally Bassett and Manaya were standing right there. One of them actually was standing in the batter's box while he was throwing, but they were in fact acting as like second and third pitching coaches. And it was, it was really true. And, and, you know, Emo does, does so much, so much work. He, he kind of goes under the radar because, um, because he's not a big personality. He doesn't say a lot, but he works his tail off and does everything these guys need. Uh, and I think they, they appreciate that and they want to help out wherever they can. Well, we can, we can end on this, you know, in all of sports now, there's so much data. There's so much analytics. It doesn't matter if you're an NBA, hockey. The, everybody's got it, right? Uh, but I say this all the time. Someone's got to be at the front of the bus. Someone's got to be the front of the plane. Somebody has to deal with the human beings. Somebody has to deal with the egos. Someone's got to be able to manage down, and they got to be able to manage up to ownership in the front office. And I think the guy that you got, Bob Melvin – is as good or better than anybody in the business at it. And you guys just picked up his option. I thought it was a no-brainer uh, what he means to these to these young men. I mean, a- after Bob, you know, ended up beating Tony La Russa for the record, you know, these guys all talked about what Bob means to them, just not as players, but as people off the field. It's something special you got going on, of course, with you, Billy, and Bob. Yeah, it it, uh, it was a no-brainer. Like you said, I was glad I was glad we were able to, to make it happen. Ownership was great in in helping us make that decision, and uh, you just you saw in in the quotes from players. There was a, a video that we we ran at the ballpark, and I think on on social media when when Bob broke that record, and just hearing how genuinely uh, the guys in the clubhouse care about him because because he gives it right back to them. So. Um, you're right. We we absolutely need somebody uh, on a day-to-day basis to manage the people down there, and and all the all the stats and all the data uh, is a huge part of it. But but Bob's human touch is really what makes it all work, and um, and it shows. I mean, you cannot argue with 800 plus wins as an Oakland A's manager. So we were we were happy to make that announcement last week. Isn't it nice for you too? The fact that. there's going to be moves made. I mean, that's just how professional sports work. But right now during this era of A's baseball with your manager, your staff, you really have a core group of players where, you know, you got your third baseman, your first baseman, your catcher, your center field. I mean, you got, you don't have to make as many moves and patchwork stuff as you've had to do in the past, just for you personally. Isn't that great as a GM? It, it is. It's a nice pace right now, for sure. I mean, look, there there are times and there are years when uh, when you have to make a lot of moves. That's what you do to sort of keep the team going. And and sometimes, you know, sometimes it works. And it's important to to keep things fresh and move guys in and out. Um, but there's certainly a place for for what you just described and the stability. The stability that we've enjoyed so many other places in the organization over the years, um, and that you don't always get to have uh, when it comes to the major league team, and, and we've got it with Bob, with a coaching staff, frankly, that's been intact for a long time. A lot, you know, a lot of these guys from you know Aldo, Emo, Bushy, these guys have been here for a long time, and and you know even a guy like Marcus Jensen, Eric Martin, maybe only on the major league staff for a few years, but part of the organization for 10 or 15 years. So all that stuff 
that goes into putting this team together and that stability. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see on the major league team and it, it makes our jobs a lot easier. Great stuff as always. Good luck in the Bronx and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Chris. David Force, the general manager of your Oakland athletics. A lot to get into there, but I think there is something to be said about stability. Stability in all parts of your life. You know, aren't you a more productive human being when you're stable versus chaos being all around you? I mean, for most people, chaos, bad. Now, some people can thrive in chaos. And that's that's like a Mariano Rivera. That's like a Dennis Eckersley or Raleigh Fingers or a Trevor Hoffman. There, there's few guys. That's why, you know, you see, you know, people go like, well, uh, you know, closing is easier than you think. Uh, no, it's not. There's a different mentality about the ninth inning. That's why you see some relievers, like look at Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan goes from eh to having a historic year back to eh. You know, he found it for one year. For one year, Blake Trinan can say he had the greatest year a closer's ever had. I mean, he was nine and two with how many saves and a what was his ERA? 0.749, something like that. Don't shortchange it. Point seven eight. It was like seven eight. And I think it was uh, yeah, I think it was thirty eight saves. Yeah, and he had like eighty strikeouts or something like that. It was ridiculous. It was one of the greatest you can years. Make a case. You can make a case. It's arguably the greatest year relievers ever had. It's up there. Zach Britton a couple of years earlier had like a point five four ERA. It's the closer of the Orioles. Uh. But yeah, he, and then you're right though. And then he kind of 2019 came around. It was a bad year for him and Lou Trevino. Now look at Trevino now. He's starting to thrive as the ace closer, our, our good friend, college rival. I'm happy and, for him. And that shows you how wacky this game is from a mental standpoint. And that's why guys that have had excellence, you know, Lee Smith just put into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, you think about the guy, I think Billy Wagner will get in at some point. You think about John Franco, you think guys, if you go to the all-time saves list and you look at these guys who put up all these saves, well, why is there so few of them? Why? There's been a bazillion relievers playing baseball. You know how many relievers there's been in in baseball history? And there's very few guys that have 300-plus saves? I mean, there's a reason. Because not everybody can come in with runners on. When the five, you know, that's when they call it the uh, the roll aids. <laughs> yeah, roll aids reliever of the year. Yeah, because why do you use roll aids? Because there's a fire going on in your stomach. You need somebody that can come in and put the fire out. And you're going up against the greatest hitters in the toughest moments. I mean, these are the best hitters in the world, and you have to get these guys out. So that you know. If you can find a guy and have that kind of consistency, but I think consistency throughout the A's right now, you know, other than, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, Cody, I actually did check my phone at one point at Disneyland, just not for the wait times of the rides, (laughs) where they talked about contending teams, what they could be looking for. And... They brought up right field for the A's. Oh, I saw that. 
And then, of course, the one thing that I've been singing, which I'm not, if it happens, I'm not, I'm not going to take credit, but I'm, you know, I've been saying Nelson Cruz for a while now, what that would mean, because I could think, I think you could, I think, don't know, that you could probably get him pretty cheap. But he's a DH only, so that still doesn't solve your right field problem. But I get no. what you're saying. But, 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 but. There is a guy out him, there, though, you can play in right put field. Him, put him in the lineup with Olsen and Chapman. There's a guy in right field. You can get out there. There's a guy out there. You can put it right field, though. It's not Gallo. Sorry. It's a guy that strikes out a lot, but you can no. get him for cheap. I, I'm sorry. I think Kyle Schwarber would be great here. Just saying. Well, you want Matt, Matt Stairs 2.0? If he, hey, for half a year, and he and uh, he's making seven million, and, the, and we can play the line perfectly from uh, from from Moneyball. Nah, Nationals are paying half your salary. That's what the now watch the Nationals think of you. They're paying you three and a half million to play against them. Because, and what does he do? Well, he gets on base. He strikes out too, but he gets on base. He's been hot since mid-May. He's been really hitting the ball well. But well, yeah, for for, for a rental player. He's a terrible defensive outfielder, but he, for, he can for, hit. For a rental player, all you need him to do is get hot at the right time. That's all you're asking your rental. It's, you know, I could actually see Nelson Cruz not being a rental player. I could see Nelson Cruz. What's he making? Uh, I want to say it's like $13 million. At I, some I, point, Nelson Cruz is not going to get. I could be I wrong, mean, but. He's 40. Is he 40 or 41? I think he's going to be 41. So he's in his age 40 year. I think it's 30, 13 million. I could be wrong. I'm looking at it right now. He's making 13 million. At some point, Nelson Cruz at like 41, 42, you might get him for like seven, six million. And that's nothing. Yeah. That's not. He, he, he is a, he right now, Nelson Cruz is a year to year guy. The only problem with that. Well, the, the only problem with that thinking is at next year, everybody's going to have a DH. Well, so if you're a DH-type player, we think you're going to have uh, far more teams bidding on your services starting next year. We think there's going to be. We, no, we, 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 don't, we don't know for sure. I can guarantee you that because that's for it, – it's in the – it's in the – oh, Dallas Braden had a great point on this as I was flying back this morning from Anaheim. For all of you people, this is this is this might be the best thing Dallas has put out. For all you people that that think pitchers should hit because that's the way baseball should be played, that's fine. DH your pitcher. Uh, pass. No, 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 no. Although, Everybody's gonna get the DH, and you just have your pitcher hit. Mm-hmm. So if you think that's so imperative and that's how baseball should be played. Go ahead, Giants. Hit your pitcher. Go ahead. Hit Madison Bumgarner on the day he pitches. That's fine. You can sub your pitcher hit. No one's telling you if you have a DH that your pitcher can't hit. Well, you already know how I feel about pitchers hitting, but um, there are those National League up, you know, purists that were like, no, I got to see the guy hit. No, we, no, we don't. We don't need to see him hit. Perfect example, and I, I, I hate to bring it up, but uh, I watched our good friend Tory Lavelle lose his uh, 23rd straight road game yesterday as the Giants swept the Diamondbacks. 23 straight road games. They now set the record. Wait, the Orioles are at 19, so the Orioles could come and break the record. Funny that we mentioned this quickly. 
Um, both of those teams have lost that many road games. Both those teams won on that those losing streaks when they had no hitters. Madison Bumgarner's no hit, no hitter on the road. John Meade's no hitter on the road. So anyway, um, there was a play in the game. Zach Allen hits a right, uh, single to right field. He almost gets thrown out at first base by Mike Yastrzemski. He throws it. Yaz throws it from right field, almost throws him out at first. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see the pitcher get thrown out because he doesn't hustle. Well, he hustled down the line because he knew that Yaz was going to throw him out. Trevor Bauer got thrown out at first base earlier this year by Yaz running down for the first base line. Nobody wants to see the pitcher hit. So I, I like Dallas's point. I agree. If you want to see your pitcher hit, then DH him. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, because nobody wants to see that except for these National League apologists. No, they can do it. And then they can see as their team gets smoked night after night. Uh, and then they'll change their mind. Do you, do you, do you have the, the Mike, our, our good friend Mike Farron, the call? I do. Um, here it is. Here's our good friend Mike Farron as the, uh, the Diamondbacks lost their 14th game in a row and their 23rd straight on the road. Peralta on the ground is short, backhanded by Dubon, throws the first in time, and the game is over, and the misery continues for the Diamondbacks. They lose to San Francisco 10-3, their 14th consecutive loss, tying the franchise record, and their 23rd straight on the road, a new major league record. I mean, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Like, I feel bad for Torrey. Because he's one. Of, I mean, we, we like the guy so much. They were fifteen and thirteen back in May. Since then, well, they've like I said, they've lost fourteen in a row. They've lost twenty-eight of thirty and thirty-seven of forty-two. How is that possible? Well, and you want to know the worst part about it? All those calls you've had to do from Arizona. So you're calling night after night losing baseball as a broadcaster and you're as these guys will all tell you it's miserable calling games off of a monitor the only thing worse than calling games off monitor monitors is 23 straight losses off of a monitor (laughs) god all right coming up next our buddy roxy bernstein from espn right here on the i was gonna say the a's clubhouse show it's a's cast live I've got so many shows going, Francis. I can't even track. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. And how about we haven't even talked about him. Making the great play, homering. I mean. No, no rehab assignment. I mean, the guy just, I mean, he's must see TV. He's just so impressive. And the way that he plays the game so hard, he attacks baseball. You know, there's, there's different styles. Some people are like super smooth. Some people are laid back. Some people just attack it. And that's the way he plays. He's all out. That's why he's got to be healthy, uh, you know, because you cannot try and change his style of play. It's so impressive. How are you, Roxy Bernstein? Hi there, Uncle Tony. How you doing? Uh, We're doing well. We were just talking about, uh, and you've become an expert at it, calling games off monitors. Can Can you imagine being a Diamondback announcer and you've called 
23 straight losses off monitors? You know, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, at the Pac-12 Network, I work with Cindy Brunson, who used to be at ESPN. And I texted Cindy because her husband is Steve Berthium, who is the TV play-by-play voice of the Diamondbacks. And I texted her, boy, I feel bad for your husband right now. <laughs> and she just sent me back the emoji with, like, the wink back at me. Like, it can't be a lot of fun, right? It, but you have that mindset going in, don't you, Chris, that you know that probably going to lose again today. Well, what's it like when – and I work for teams like that. You know, it's not fun going to the ballpark, and you're just hoping for something positive to happen and talk about. Um, whether it was in minor league baseball, a team I worked for, the, the great high desert Mavericks, Chris, that went 42-98 and 98 the year I was there. Um, my third year I was with the Marlins. They were, we won, we didn't win 70 games. So I, I, I've been there. I, I know how bad it can be. Uh, you, you, you want to know what my Raiders record is? Is it not good? <laughs> uh, w- one winning season under Jack Del Rio. One. Oh. Hey, wow. remember, hey, remember Tom Cable said we're eight and eight. We're not losers anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm just going God. back to where we're building. We're building a bully, right? Yeah, I was there for that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a. I mean, it, you go back. I mean, I mean, the worst is when you're the Golden State Warriors, and my 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 old partner Matt Steinmetz would say when he was traveling around the country, and that's when everybody was taking cabs, and. You know, the cab driver would ask, hey, what are you doing in town? I, you know, I'm covering the Golden State Warriors. And they'd be like, what's the Golden State Warriors? Or who's the Golden State Warriors? <laughs> so it's like, you know, years ago, people didn't even know what the war Golden State, what does that even mean? Like, they're a basketball team? Where do they play? I mean, when you're irrelevant, that is the worst. But, you know, it's funny. You look at the Diamondbacks roster itself, Chris. They're not that bad when you look. And Nick Ahmed's having a lousy year. But Escobar's a good player. Azrubal Cabrera's better years are behind him. There's no doubt about it. Look, I'm not saying they're a good team, but they shouldn't be this bad. And it is, it is horrific how bad the Diamondbacks are. Um, look, at some point you think the law of averages, you'd win a road game over the span of two months, but they haven't done it. That's what's crazy. Yeah, the thing that always gets me when doing like a post game show and a team's, you know, in, in a bad streak and everybody wants to start blaming the coaches. I mean, at some point as players, you, you guys got to look yourselves in the mirror. You're, you are the guys that are throwing it, catching it, hitting it. When, when you're this bad, it's on you. It doesn't matter who's got Vince Lombardi could come walking through that door. And you're still going to be bad. You got to take it apart. Like somebody, somebody in that clubhouse has to get has to ruffle some feathers and get things going. Look, you're right. And the manager can only do so much. They fill out the lineup card, but they're not the ones executing the pitches or the one if they're trying to hit the baseball. And you could say that in a number of sports. For example, look, John Wooden was the greatest coach in the history of college basketball. Because, why? He had the greatest players in the history of college basketball, right? He had, he had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He had Bill Walton. He had Marcus Johnson. He had unbelievable talent. I'm not saying that John Wooden wasn't a great coach, but great players can make 
your teams and your coaches good or bad. And look, we're lucky with, with Bob Melvin, who is one of the best managers in baseball. But at the end of the day, Bob can only do so much. And But he's got the talent and he's got the pieces that fit w- with this group. And right now, Tori Lovello doesn't have that. He's got some pieces, but at, at the end of the day, you got to stop, stop pointing your finger at him. Okay, is he could be part of the problem? Yeah, he could be. But there's more to it than just the, the manager. And the players are underperforming. It's not Tori Lovello's fault that Nick Ahmed is having a lousy year. It just happens. Are you, are you trying to say that uh, if we got in a time machine and brought John Wooden back that uh, with, with San Jose State squad, we're not going to the Final Four? Um, unless he's bringing Kareem or Bill Walton with him, I'm going to say no. <laughs> oh, can you, can you can you imagine having uh, Kareem, Lou Alcindor at San Jose State and dominating? <laughs> Inside, what is, what is it called now? That it was a student rec pavilion for a while, right? What's it, what's the arena called now? For your mighty uh, Spartan, I couldn't. I walked by it recently. I can't even tell you. I tell you what, though, Tim Miles is actually getting some talent in there, and his staff—they're out there. They're getting some pretty good bounce back transfers, some talent. Tim Miles, he, look, he hasn't coached the game yet at San Jose State, but I think he's doing a pretty good job. All right, they're, they're trying to make a big splash out of this. And I don't know, for me, over the years, just knowing that the ratings have been down, they tried to trick it up too much, the home run derby. I mean, Cody was even so excited. He wanted to start the show off, not A's, but Shohei Otani in the home run derby. And I'm like, does anybody, Does it, I mean, maybe they do, or maybe he will bring some super excitement. We got a, a lot of young players where are you on home derby, home run derby, ever since they started making it this super long, Chris Berman saying back, 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 back for three hours. Uh, where are you on home run derby? Chris, you and I love baseball, right? If if I happen to miss the home run derby, it's not the end of the world as far as I'm concerned, to be honest. So a lot of the guys don't want to do it because they feel it messes up their swing. And we've seen players that have – partaking in the home run derby then all of a sudden the second half of the season their swing is all messed up their mechanics are screwed up because they were worried about trying to hit home runs and trying to train for that and it got them out of whack and i think it it has its purpose i would like to see a better format for the home run derby um it it certainly is attractive and people love seeing guys hit the ball out of the ballpark but I, i just think it's too long too drawn out we need a better format for this. If it's going to become, I think, a must-see event and must-watch. We've had our cool moments, right? The one year where Josh Hamilton went nuts. Or Robinson Cano's dad pitching to him at the Home Run Derby. That's cool. But those, those moments, Chris, have been few and far between. And I think they have to come up with a better format to make it more attractive for the viewer. Yeah, and also, the guys that are not in the Home Run Derby, they don't want to sit out on that field for two and a half, three hours. No. And they're stuck out there. They they have to do it. It's part of their responsibility. So if you could find a way to condense it to maybe an hour, hour and a half at most, I, I think that would be a start. Do we limit the field? Do you go from eight down to four or maybe six to try to make it just to find some way to speed it up and, because I think it's just too drawn out, 
and it's anticlimactic right now, to be honest with you. What are we going to do about all these players who are all using some type of substance, whether it's spider tack or they've got their own, their own homemade glue. You have star pitchers coming out and now, you know, Tyler glass now says he got hurt and hurt his elbow because he wasn't using it. Um, Garrett Cole looked like a bumbling fool. What's baseball to do? Because hitters, and I think we're all in this together where we say we want pitchers to have the best grip they can possibly have. What do we do so they've got something? Because these baseballs are like cue balls. They're so slick now. Look, you pitch collegiately. What did you do when you were on the mound? Did you have a substance? Did you have a go-to? We had rosin. That was it. You didn't use anything else. You didn't, like, spray your hand with that sticky stuff. No, or use pine tar. You didn't cheat at all. Come I, on. I, hey, I would have if I would have known how to. If I even knew what spider tack was, I would have done it. But no. <laughs> no wonder why you gave up. No wonder why you gave up that slam to that fat dude from Fullerton. Yeah, because I was just <laughs> I was just up there throwing as hard as I could. I was like Jesus Cesardo. I just threw it as hard as I could. Sometimes I struck you out. Other times you took me deep. I, I, to be honest with you, Chris, I think the major league pitchers need it. I really do. I, I sympathize with them, with, with Glassnow and, and those guys, because it's not just, okay, he got hurt because of, well, he feels that he wasn't able to grip the baseball, and it forced him to compensate. If I'm a hitter, I want the pitcher to have that, because then they have more control, and there is less of a chance where I could have you know, a devastating injury at the plate, right? There's more control know where the ball is going that's more beneficial to the batter because then they're a little bit more confident in terms of not being apprehensive about getting in the batter's box now there's some other adjustments i think that could be made to help the hitters but taking the substance or whatever gripping mechanism pitchers use these days i don't think that is the right answer and Okay, Glasnow feels it led to his injury, but it could lead to some other injuries. And for years, they've been doing it. Now, all of a sudden, it's an issue. We've known this for years, Chris, that guys were using some type of substance to help them better grip the baseball. I don't have an issue with it. I don't necessarily view it as cheating. Major League Baseball is trying to come down hard on it. But I disagree with them and the way they're going about it right now. And I, I do believe that it... It puts everybody at a disadvantage that this is the timing that they're trying to do it at. I get regulating it, but you're not solving the problem. Like solving the problem would be guys. We've had our scientists create this. And we, with the players union have agreed that we can all use this. So this is what you need. This is what you can use. I mean, that, that, that solves the problem right there is come up with something that everybody can use at every level so everybody's using it and it's regulated. I just it, that, that that still to me Roxy is the craziest thing. It's the baseball's the only sport that doesn't regulate its equipment. Every other sport does, right? Your hockey sticks can only be so many, you know, can only be I mean I don't know what the rules are, but I know they regulate what you can do with the hockey stick. All the pucks are the same. The basketballs, all the basketballs are the same. Like we're the only sport that doesn't regulate its equipment. And the other thing about it, too, is why now mid-season 
if this becoming an issue. Just because Giovanni Gallegos from the Cardinals got caught that one day, and now all of a sudden there's the overreaction toward, oh, we have to crack down. At this point, I don't understand why. For Major League Baseball, and they've always been, you know, the commissioner's office has always been reactionary instead of being proactive. And that's what they're doing here. One person got caught with a spot on their hat. And and all of a sudden now, it's such a huge issue. I don't think it's honest with you, but Major League Baseball clearly is doing something because they don't feel it's in the best interest of the game. But there's so many other areas that I think they can improve upon it and this is one area where I think they're just there's an overreaction right now to the one person getting caught, and all of a sudden, oh, we can't have this going on in our game. Why not? It's been going on forever. Why all of a sudden now? Is this an issue in midseason to make this change? just doesn't make sense to me. What do you got this weekend? So I am off this weekend, family stuff going on. Um, I'm back to Saturday baseball next weekend. I've got the Mets and the Phillies. I've been doing, you know, a ton of college baseball the last few weekends. I did a regional and super regional for ESPN TV with a college world series starting tomorrow. I I've had my baseball fix that, that there's no doubt about that. How weird is it that we haven't had the draft yet? I, I think it's good for the, for the amateur game, especially for the kids that are in the college world series, because it can be at this time of the year, such a distraction, especially for a team like Vanderbilt, for example, tomorrow, right? That Jack Leiter and Kumar rocker are going to be two of the top six picks in the draft. And if we had the draft going on right now, and they're trying to focus on helping Vanderbilt win a college world series, you, you don't think that would be an issue. Or a player, for example, like Ryan Holgate of Arizona, who is probably their most highly thought of prospect for this year. And if he doesn't get drafted where he likes, all of a sudden, does he go in the tank and get frustrated? I just think it helps the college game and the College World Series product that we push this back to July, that the players aren't wrapped up and distracted from what they're trying to do in competing for a national championship right now. Yeah, so we got Stanford, NC State, Vanderbilt, Arizona, Tennessee, Virginia, Texas, Mississippi State. What a weekend we're going to have. We got the U.S. Open down at Torrey Pines. We got the A's and the Yankees going after it. And the College World Series starts tomorrow. I think it's great for the Bay Area and for Stanford that they're back in it. And it's been 13 years since Stanford had been to Omaha in the College World Series. And they went to Texas Tech and Poor Dallas Braden's Red Raiders got thumped by the Cardinals. What, 24-3, they're outscoring the two games. And I did the Super Regional, which had Arizona and Ole Miss. Uh, and Arizona's offense, is, that's going to be the most attractive thing to me about the, these first-round matchups, Chris, tomorrow night, is the offensive attack for Arizona. The Wildcats hit all, at almost 330 as a team, and they score nearly nine runs a game. So one of the most prolific offenses against Vandy and the pitching staff that Tim Corbin can have, whether it's Rocker or Leiter who makes a start for them tomorrow, 
to me, that's going to be the, the most an, anticipated thing about these first-round matchups is Vanderbilt going up against Arizona's offense. David Esker, friend of the program. We had him here on A's Cast Live. He's got the, the Cardinal back in the World Series. I'm so happy for him. I mean, he look, he took my alma mater there 10 years ago in a Cal team that had Marcus Simeon uh, to Omaha in an improbable run and was the national coach of the year for everything he went through that year. And now he's back in his alma mater. He won a couple of national championships as a player, and he's guiding Stanford back to Omaha. And look, they're getting hot, Chris, at the right time. And they're, they hit home runs last weekend. Uh, Brock Jones, the former football player, hit three home runs in, in one game against Texas Tech. They have two legit ace starters in Brendan Beck and, and with Williams. So I think Stanford's got a pretty good chance. The way they're playing right now, I think they have to feel pretty good about things. All right, we'll have the weekend off. Enjoy it. I, I want to say, what are you, Tahoe? Uh, possibly. Enjoy. <laughs> we'll, we'll all be working, but you enjoy, and we'll talk to you next week. I, I'll try. It, it's a rough life, you know, to, to hang on in the Incline Village for a week. Oh, God. That place is awful terrible especially yeah. with the weather is like it is right now it's just miserable to be up there uh, I, I could give you a hundred other places i'd rather be <laughs> i can't <laughs> have fun with the family buddy all right Daddy, see ya. roxy bernstein right here on a's cast live all right incline village is awesome it's pretty incredible the hyatt there right on the water it's incredible Got a sports book, beautiful casino. You're in. You're on the Nevada side, which is the side I like to be on. I'll be in Tahoe. California side. Doesn't have casinos. I'll be in Tahoe in a few weeks. Well, good for you. It's called you a bachelor. It's called a bachelor party. You know where I'll be? Oh, I'll, oh, that's oh, that's during the All Star break. Yeah. Well, you were invited, but you you have a family vacation here going on. Yeah. Hey, honey, uh, I know I work every day and I don't get to see you guys a lot. And uh, the one time during the All-Star break, we can have our family vacation. Uh, I can't go. I'm going to Cody's bachelor party. That'll go for a while. Amanda will understand. And you'll be like, well, I mean, Cody means so much to you. Well, it's not his first bachelor party. <laughs> it's his second bachelor party. Well, the first one was the, uh, this my, this might as well be the first one. The first one was it was the, it was poorly planned by my friends. All I'm saying is it's not the first bachelor party, it's the second. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah. there better not be a third. I hope not. I'm, I can't do this again. Yeah. Yeah, those people are like hey, you're not coming to my wedding. Dude, it's your third wedding. No. Oh, yeah. I, I, how many gifts do I need to buy for how many wives here? <laughs> Uh, that's, that's the thing, like uh, a pattern going on here that I don't like. Yeah. That's the thing that that's always a tricky thing. Cause like we were trying to figure that out. Well, we'll get to that, but the whole, what the registry and all that stuff. And we're just like, Oh, we'll just do like a honeymoon fund. It's like, yeah, you know what? We'll figure We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, you know, I was actually thinking about with Stanford reaching the college world series. I, we should, I was going to reach out to Esker and maybe try to, program. try to get him on because, you know, I've talked, we've had him on and talk about Marcus Simeon. I've interviewed him for when I did the path on Mark Canna. So we should, um, if Sanford advances, um, or even, if they, even if they don't advance, we should still have him on sometime next week. Um, well, la last time I talked to him was 
Remember that event I hosted where we honored Mark Canna and uh, Jock Peterson, the Silicon or Santa Clara. The hot stove thing, right? The hot stove baseball. I can't. It's so long. I don't remember. Yeah. But of course, he was there and I got to talk to him there. So, yes, bring on the friend of the program from Omaha. Yeah, because he because uh, we had him on too. whenever Marcus was one of the top three MVP candidates and we brought him on because obviously he coached the Macau and. You know, Marcus was on that team, as Roxy mentioned, the one to Omaha 10 years ago on that magical run the year after Canna left. Canna talked about that on the path, how, you know, you know, how many Esker told him how, you know, we wouldn't have got here if it wasn't for you, you know, pretty much helping us get here. Like the, you know, the foundation you helped build here at Cal. So Mark Canna meant a lot to that Cal team 10 years ago. They got to the College World Series and then, you know, Marcus Simeon and the guys over there to help get them there. And now Esker's got Stanford in the college world series i was watching i haven't watched a lot of the college world series but i gotta get my mock draft ready because the draft the drafts on the week when we're gonna be off because of the all-star break so we won't be able to do a draft show but no one cared about the draft then no one cares about the draft now hey we had fun with the draft last year though we did a whole show i mean i was the only person i was the only person in the country to say that asa lacy was going to the royals in my mock draft nobody else had it not jonathan mayo not jim callis not keith law not Kylie McDaniel, friend of the program. No one had it right. I did. Yeah, no one, no one, no one likes talking about a six-four left-hander from Amarillo, Texas. So you have no idea, no idea who the hell he is, and you have no <laughs> idea if he'll ever even make it to the big leagues. That's a wow. I, he did go to A and M. That's a. I don't know where. I don't know if that's Amarillo, Texas, but that's. I don't a, know. That's, I, you that's know, you really know what good, I'm saying. But that's really good knowledge. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna look up his specifics, and if you're, if you are even anywhere close to that. That is really good. I Let's couldn't see. even tell you where Amarillo, Texas is on a map. Also, Lacey, he's 6'4", so the, that's one. Okay. He is from – okay, he went to A&M. He's from Tivy High School in Kerrville, Texas. Uh, I have no idea where Kerrville, Texas is, but we'll say Kerr, that's – Kerr with a C or a K? Kerr, like Steve Kerr, K-E-R-R-Ville, Texas. K-E-R-R-Ville, there it is, City, Texas. And see what see where it is the if it's by Where <laughs> is Kerrville, Texas? So close as to Amarillo. Just type in go to Google Maps. Here, I'll do it on my on my okay, What's the first thing I see on, on Google Maps? A Walmart Supercenter. You can't make that up. Well, of course. Uh, and they have the Museum of Western Art. All right, where is this joint? All right, here I'm doing I got it really oh, it's close to San Antonio. Not that far from uh, Austin, Texas. I have been to San Antonio, Ooh. and I've been to Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas is awesome. Ker- Kerrville, six and a half hours from Amarillo, Texas. I just did the Google Maps. So if we left right now, it would take us six and a half hours via car to get to Amarillo from Kerrville. So you were about mm, a day's drive off. Oh, it's not. Well, because A&M, College if Station. I'm correct, is just outside of Houston. College Station. I, I don't know. I don't know Texas very well. I don't. I've yeah, never been there. Yeah, it's just outside of Houston, and that's a long, long way from Houston. I've only ever been to the airport in Dallas. You've never been to Texas? No. Um, How's that possible? Well, uh, I've been to Waterburger at, in the airport. It's, it's about. It's, that's I've the extent. Been to of- Waterburger in Houston, Texas, at about two thirty in the morning. You were supposed to go with Jeff Blum in Houston, and that uh, that never came to fruition. Well, he had to work, and I had to work. Yeah, well, hey, when, when Blummer wants to hang out with you, you make exceptions. Well, actually, Blummer was going to make an exception for you. Uh, the, 
a World Series hero wanted to make an exception to hang out with you. It should have been the other way around. So, yeah, the draft, uh, I mean, you get excited. I mean, and then, you know, it's great is when you, you draft a quarterback and he decides he wants to continue to play football. That's always a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Has that happened recently? Did it happen? <laughs> Did it happen to a, a, a team? I'll tell you a place you never need to go, and no offense if you're from there, is uh, El Paso. You can, sk- you can skip that one. Now that I think about it, I've been to quite a few places in, uh, of course, Arlington, Dallas, uh, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, El Paso. You know, I've never been with our good friend Dallas Braden to Lubbock to see the Red Raiders. Oh, they had a good football program back in the mid or mid to late 2000s with uh, Mike Leach. Uh, Scored a lot of points. Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree, who was going to go, they, they say, is one of the greatest college-wide receivers of all time. Former 49er, former Raider. Scored a lot of points. They did. Well, they gave up a lot of points, too. <laughs> Speaking of scoring a lot of points, but we call it runs in baseball. You know what? You know what? Ever since we did that segment with Dave Feldman, like things have been coming up in my head. And I'm like, why do they call it that? Like, yeah. why do we call it runs? Yeah, why is it not points? Yeah. Every other sport you score points like well in hockey you score goals because you're hitting it into a goal that makes sense right yeah soccer's goals too because you're hitting into a goal goal. yeah why is baseball runs and not points i'll let you chew on that you know the a's have outscored their opponent in this month 87 to 46. That's all. And, and, and you know why? It's because they're scoring without hitting a ton of home runs. Everybody in the lineup's doing something. And I really look forward to seeing James Caprellian tonight. Because, you know, normally you'd be like, oh, God, young kid got drafted by the Yankees. Oh, boy, going to be pitching at Yankee Stadium. But this guy's pitched with Moxie. And, you know, when we had him on the program, he said something that I I just, I loved. It's like, hey, I'm going to challenge people, and if they hit it, great. I got a great defense behind me. You know, too many guys try and pitch around contact because they're afraid of contact when they're young. Not Caprellian. Caprellian, I mean, what we have seen so far is a guy that goes out and just pounds the strike zone. I've been impressed with him, and it's going to be nice to see him go back and pitch against a team that, one, drafted him, but he's the only guy remaining from that Sunday Gray trade, and what he's been able to do has been special. Right-hander's only hitting 131 against him, which um, is not surprising because he's been, he's been pounding, as you mentioned, he's been pounding the strike zone, and I want to see him on the big stage pitching at Yankee Stadium because, you know, we saw what happened to Sonny Gray when he pitched in New York. He couldn't handle the pressure, so... James Caprellian going back to face the team that drafted him out of UCLA, 16th overall in the 2015 draft, as we were talking about the draft just a few minutes ago. It's going to be good to see because he has given the A's rotation a boost. That's something that they've needed uh, with the Mike Fires injury um, earlier this year. And he's been, you know, he's given youth to this rotation, the rotation that's, you know, a little 
little older, you know, with Bassett's in his 30s, Manai's getting up there. So seeing Caprellian pitch, I want to see what he can do again. He's pitched great all year. If he can have a good start against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, the second lowest scoring team in the American League, and he can and he can hold them to some, you know, they're, they're well, I would say they're not even a potent offense. Their oh, offense is not potent at all. Um, it's going to be a huge confidence boost for him. I, I hope his dad's there and they do a split screen because that's going to be awesome to see his dad at Yankee Stadium if he's there. All right, coming up next, Michael K, legendary TV play-by-play announcer for the Yankees, also on the Yes Network, also has his talk show on – what is he on now? It's ESPN. Is it ESPN Radio yeah, in New ESPN. York City? Oh, yeah. yeah, this guy has had an, an unbelievable career. Now has a book out, and he'll join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. So what time are we going to till today? Uh, two, 250 today, because uh, total access starts at 305, and we're going to play Andy Martino, the author of Cheated about the Astros. Well, they're playing really well right now. And Jose Altuve hit like 15 home runs in his last 15 games, something like that. It's been ridiculous. All right. I like it. Did you like my social kind of experiment that I did at Disneyland with, with sports? What, the hats? Which is the gear. Yeah. Uh, it's a good the sign. Merch. It's a good sign for Major League Baseball. Um, I've noticed that a lot with hats anymore. And it's not just in the Bay, like not just A's and Giants hats in the Bay Area. I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, Dodgers. Um, I've seen Angels hats, and that's just not in just my own household. Um, I've seen a lot of Pirates hats. I don't I don't understand that one. I don't know. If, I think it's more. Of a you know, I, I I saw a couple Pirate hats at Disneyland. Yeah. You know what it is? Because it's a stylish hat. It's, yeah, it's the black. The, it's not because they're playing. gold. It has nothing to do with the team. <laughs> it's not, yeah, because it's not because they're a good team. Uh, I've seen Philly hats. I mean, the, the baseball. I mean, there's a lot of cool logos, and then baseballs release some of these um, these new hats that they have cool designs. I forget what the name of these new era hats they have are. I really don't care for the ones they did for the A's. It doesn't make sense. Um, they well, like- I saw, I, yesterday I saw a red cap, blue bill, and a white SF. Put your arms around that one. So new era makes, you know, it's the Giants SF, but it was in white with a red cap and a blue bill. By the way, what are you doing at the Coliseum? Uh, I know it's great. One, I'm, it's so great being here. There's nobody here, but it's me, uh, Vince, and Ken, and Ray Fossey. That's not the only people here. Uh, well, I left the equipment here the other day, and I'm going to Napa after this, so I figured I'd cut oh. down the commute. I looked at the – Oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's great. Roxy's going to Tahoe. <laughs> you're going to Napa. And you know what I'm doing? Uh, you were at Disneyland yesterday. Oh, yeah, I got one day. <laughs> Uh, I was barely there 24 hours. You know, you know how we always talk about the traffic from you coming up from San Jose to here. I looked at the traffic. I was just curious how much it's, how long it take for me to get from Napa from here to Napa. I already looked. It's going to take an hour. This is 30 minutes ago, an hour and 45 minutes. I'm oh, like, you know, oh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait till it, later. You know, like people were flipping out when the Raiders left, and they're like, "Oh, it's going to be Napa." You know, what about Napa? You know how long it takes to get to Napa? By the way, do you know how long it takes for a flight to go from San Jose to Reno? Do you know what the? Do you know how long you're actually in the air? Uh, forty-five minutes. 
28 to 29 minutes. I literally left San Jose, landed in Reno, buddy picked me up, and was in the casino within 45 minutes. Who flies to Reno? We do now for a football trip. Oh, that's smart. Okay, all right. So we're going up there to you know gamble all weekend. Oh. In less than 45 minutes, I was in the casino with a drink in my hand. Going to training camp in Napa takes you two and a half hours. Yeah, that's that's not worth it. Well, I had to for the job, but well, I'm telling yeah. you, man, as, as beautiful as Napa is, for us people in the South Bay, it is, it's like almost dry. It's like more than halfway to L.A. Because yeah. the traffic is so bad. Yeah. Traffic is so bad. 880, 880 did not know what COVID-19 was. 880 was not affected by COVID-19. Not at all. Not at all. All right. 880 is the worst. 880 is the worst freeway we got. Uh, it's not even close. That's saying 101 is great. 280 is the best. Oh. 280 is like an Autobahn. Uh, <laughs> 87 is not bad. 680, yeah, you know. But the worst by far, 880. 880 is bad. I can tell you because I drive it. I drive it at midnight. I drive it at 1 in the afternoon. There's always traffic. You need me to get to Michael K? Yes. All right. Here is the legend from New York, Michael K. Michael, it is great to have you on the program once again to talk a little bit about not only the Oakland A's and the New York Yankees and about your new book, Center Stage. I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited about it. You know, we've the show's been on for 20 years, and we've done like 240 interviews. So what I did was I – sat down and picked out the 35 best ones, the ones that would resonate with the most people, and told the backstories of the interview and then had the, had the transcript of the interview as well. And uh, so far, people are really enjoying it. So I hope people will go out and take a look. You know, I mean, what's, what's so interesting about your career is everybody thinks about you with the Yankees, and they forget how long you've been in talk radio. I've been in talk radio since the 90s. And – uh, I mean, your great career, yes, obviously, play-by-play for the Yankees. There's nothing bigger. But you've been talk radio for so long, and all the people you've talked to, it's so fascinating. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I mean, we've, uh, you know, I've done the radio show in New York now. For, this is the 20th year, and the, the Center State show on TV, also 20 years. And I've uh, been the Yankee announcer now for 30. So, I mean, wow. I give you those numbers, and it makes me feel really old. Yeah, you know for the first time in my career i'm starting to get hey i grew up listening to you and i've been dealing with that now for a while but i just think about your career and it's so phenomenal and being around a franchise there's no franchise like the new york yankees in our country i mean it's just the reality it's amazing you know it's so funny like uh you know i grew up 10 minutes from yankee stadium and when I was nine years old and realized that I was terrible as a baseball player, I just told my parents I wanted to be the Yankee announcer. You know, that's just the musings of a nine-year-old. But, you know, here I am all these years later, and I was lucky enough to live the dream. And, and you know, when you announce the Yankees, it's, it's funny. I think, you know, the 30 years I've done the Yankees, uh, the, the only losing record they had was the first year in 1992. And they've been over 500 and, and pretty much a playoff team. And they just give you a lot of great moments to, to sink your teeth into. And, you know, you just along for the ride. You know, I once told Derek Jeter, I love the fact that I piggybacked on all your great moments by being able to call them. But, you know, it's a nice connection to have. Yeah. And of course, my, my audience is like, oh, my God, I can't stand these guys. But, yeah, the reality <laughs> is Derek Jeter only played like a handful of games that never meant anything. 
I mean, when you look at his career and you look at your career, you put them together, every game that you're calling night after night, it always meant something. Talk about what that was like for you. Yeah, it was it was incredible because like before I got the gig, um, you know, they they had come across some hard times, you know, the Stump Merrill years and when the you know their owner George Steinbrenner was suspended for a little bit and you know it, it looked bleak there for a while. And then, you know, I, I got the job working with John Sterling and they hired Buck Showalter and Gene Michael and Buck Showalter started to turn it around and I, I think you're right with the I think the stat is that Derek Jeter in his 19-year career, played one game that didn't mean something. One. Which is just incredible. Like, the Yankees were in play for some sort of playoff spot all but one game of his career. So, you know, when, you know, your 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 career is like almost in lockstep with Jeter's, that means that you're announcing games that always mean something as well. But it also leads to a fan base that's a little spoiled. Like, if you don't, if you don't win a World Series, the fan base really thinks it's been a failure. And, you know, just on my talk radio show, I mean, they bring up, we haven't won since 2009. Well, there are a lot of teams that would like to win <laughs> in 2009. But for Yankee fans, that's, that's an eternity. And they get really ticked off. You know, uh, you know, crazy thing about COVID-19, you know, the last time I was on a plane was I brought my kids back. We did the Washington, D.C. trip where we then went to Philly. And then after that, we went to New York and I took him to Hamilton and Wicked there on Broadway. That's the last time I've been on a plane. It was actually New York City going going back from New York back here to San Francisco. Um, getting back to normal is going to be very interesting. And I can't wait to, to, to go to New York again. I mean, so what has it been like for you as someone who's traveled the world that, that you know, we've been so in, in this world that w- the, the norm has been to be at home and to call games from home. What has that been like for you? Uh, it's been strange. Uh, uh, the last time I was on a plane is like March 11th. Um, I was down in spring training doing Yankee yeah. games, and, you know, the world stopped. And I got back on a plane. That's the last time I've been on a plane. And uh, ever since then, I've done my radio show from my house. Um, and what we've done is we've done all the Yankee games from the stadium. We've been able to do that. And uh, but we haven't traveled. So yesterday the Yankees played the um, Toronto Blue Jays and they were playing in Buffalo. And David Cohn and I were sitting in an empty Yankee stadium calling the game off, you know, television screen. So I don't know if that's the new normal. I think that, you know, a lot of television executives have discovered a way to save a lot of money by not traveling people. And although it's noticeable to people in the business when somebody's not in a venue, I don't know if the general public sees it or feels it that much. So I'm not sure when we'll get back on the road, but I'm just glad to be, you know, back in the ballpark and have fans back in the ballpark. And and ironically enough, you know, Oakland's coming to town on Friday and the Yankees are calling it reopening day because that's the first time that they'll allow 100% capacity at Yankee Stadium when the A's play the Yankees Friday night. Well, it's going to be a beautiful thing. I can't wait to see it. And, And I think about the responsibility to be the voice of the New York Yankees, what is that like? You know what? It, it, I know it's corny, but it, it's kind of a dream, and I never take it for granted because you know it's what I wanted to do since I was a little kid. And whenever I walk into that ballpark and, and just sit in that booth, I do take it in. I don't take it for granted. And it's a big responsibility because there's such a, a big fan base, and they're associated uh, with sustained excellence, so you want to do a good job. And you know, I do feel a lot of pressure when there are big moments like, you know, this year we had Corey Kluber, uh, 
with uh, with the no hitter and the, you know you know throughout the years the World Series and Jeter's three thousand hit. You know these are things that will you know be around as long as you know people are around. And I don't ever want to disappoint the person who's part of the big moment. You know, and and, and I, I even told that to Jeter. I never wanted you to be embarrassed by a call. And so there there is some pressure there, especially in the big moments. You don't want to botch them. And if you botch enough of them, you're not going to have the job. <laughs> well, well, you, you're talking about fascinating interviews. When you look back, I mean, your illustrious career, it's incredible. Um, what is the most fascinating interview you've ever done? Well, it, it's in the book. It, you know, it, Mike Tyson uh, was on the show. And um, it was weird. Like, it, the, the show is an hour long. We have a studio audience. And he sat there on stage. And at times wept uncontrollably, um, laughed uh, out of out of his mind. I got angry that at one point I thought he was going to hit me. I mean, it was just it was raw. It was unbelievable. People that were there still talk about it. And then I found this out like a week and a half ago. So it's not even in the book, but the show ran on Yes, the Yes Network, and Spike Lee was watching it. And after the show was over, he picked up the phone. And called up Mike Tyson and said, that's a Broadway show. That's a one-man show. Let's do it. Now, I somehow got aced out of it and didn't <laughs> see any money out of it. But it's kind of fun that it, you know that show led to Mike Tyson's Broadway show. And he's also done a, res- a residency in, in Vegas with it as well. And it started from him just like letting it all hang out for an hour on the show. That, 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 that's incredible. And I, I know you only have so much time, but when I think of Derek Jeter, the fact that this is probably the most stand-up guy our sport has ever seen. Every single game, he stood up to the New York media. Every single game, before, after. Just talk about what this guy was like covering his career. It was amazing that, you know, you know with, with a lot of players in big moments, the, the game speeds up. He never got out of control. He never felt uh, overwhelmed. You know, he, he like welcomed the pressure. It was almost like it was, if you were going to create a player that was going to excel in New York, it would be Derek Jeter. Never too high, never too low. And in terms of like dealing with the media, I don't know if it was just by accident, but he was brilliant with it. And he never really told us anything. And I once made this comment to Ian O'Connor, and he wrote the Derek Jeter biography, and he put it in the book. You you could knock on Derek's door, right? Derek will answer the door, and he'll talk to you through the screen door for two hours. He's never inviting you in. So Derek always gave you just enough, but you didn't ever leave the table really full. And it, I, there's a genius to it, and it's something that, that A-Rod really never mastered. You know, when A-Rod spoke too much, he said too much, and he got himself into trouble. Jeter never got himself into trouble. He always said the right thing, and I think it's an incredible skill to have, especially in New York. Did Jay-Z ever get himself in trouble with you? Jay-Z never did. Jay-Z was an amazing guest, and you know, sitting down and talking with him, you realize why he's as you know, famous and rich as he is. He incredible drive, pulled himself out of poverty in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, the audience was filled with people that love him. And he was an impressive dude, I'll tell you that.
Well, I can tell you all the respect in the world. You've had a wonderful career, whether we're talking television or radio. Congratulations on this book. We will promote it. And uh, be well, my friend. You take care. Thank you. And by the way, you're a great dad. Taking your kids to Hamilton and Wicked? Wow. Well, hey, how about this? Uh, after our game today against the Angels, we're going to Disneyland for the first time. You are dad of the year. Hey, Michael, really, thank you so much for, for coming on the program, and good luck with this book. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Michael K., legendary announcer in New York and the New York Yankees. It, it's not the first time taking my kids to Disneyland. I should say it's the first time since COVID-19 going down to Disneyland. And if you could tell by that interview, um, that was Cody waking me up after probably broadcasting till, I don't know, around 1130, almost midnight, and then getting me up at 8 a.m. Well, we'll do it for the big hitters, and he's a big hitter, but you could tell in my voice, somebody just woke up. Who, who was the one? We got like a minute left. Who was was it? Verducci. We did it like seven. I think he was the the earliest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about because it's not like when you get done with the show at night, it's not like you go straight to sleep. You've got to wind down. So you're you know you're on a couple hours sleep and you get up and you like tape these guys, and you got phlegm and then and then all of a sudden you go back to sleep after the interview. Yeah. So my apologies for my voice on that interview. Plus, it's it's hard to think. You just woke up. You're like, oh my god. But yeah, no, he's a good get. Yeah, and uh, I did hear back about David Cohn. Uh, the guy from Yes Network was like, uh, I really apologize. Like, I, I completely – David wanted to do it with you guys, and you reached out – and you go – the guy was like, you reached out in advance and everything. Um, I just completely spaced and forgot to get back to you. So when you – I'll when take the, David Cohn at any time. He he told me when they come – when they, the Yankees come here in August that uh, he'll, make it, he'll make it happen for us. We'll, I'll take that. I loved David Cohn. Yeah, well, we know, so – um, but we're we're out of time. But um, we can we can talk about how you hate on David Cohn. I don't hate David Cohn. I just don't. If we're gonna put him in the Hall of Fame, we're putting Granky in the Hall of Fame. He was he was the ultimate mercenary back in the day. You want to win? Go trade for David Cohn. He was a good pitcher. I'm not gonna disagree and he with threw you. Threw from everywhere. Yeah, he, he had so many arm angles, and he was nasty, and he threw hard, and oh, well, he and Granky have the same thing in common. They won their size in Kansas City. Yeah. Granky was great. Can I mean uh, we can get that another day? So that's, that's it. it. That's it. Yeah. Now Fun you show. just go to Na now you uh, you go to Napa. Roxy goes to Tahoe. No, I got some stuff to do, and then uh then I then I'll go to Napa. Okay. Well, enjoy all the wine. Yeah. Well, you better bring you better bring me a bottle back. I will. I'll bring you a bottle, or maybe I'll bring you some from Russian River uh, Brewing. Nice. Yeah, I'm going there tomorrow. I'm not hard to please. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so i am not hard i can tell you yesterday at disneyland there was a point where i'm like god i could use a beer right now <laughs> so we're gonna play uh, andy martino the author of cheated before uh you come on at 305 for ace total access all righty thank you for listening to a's cast live we want to thank the bibster david force roxy bernstein and michael k and we'll see you in moments right here on a's total access this has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.